1. Titus chapter 1. Brother Larry, if you can, could you open us in a word of prayer this morning? Amen. Now, last week we gave you some introductory material there, not too much on the book of Titus. Of course, Paul's the author, and he's writing to Titus, a preacher boy of his. And uh, just verse 1 here, we'll get right into it. The Bible says, Paul, servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So, of course, first of all, uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 real quick. Uh, you notice here that uh, the elect are already saved. I'll say it again, the elect are already saved. And uh, we're not going to go into a deep dive on this foolishness about Calvinism. We've went into it extensively in the book of Romans. And then again, the book of Ephesians. But real quickly, we'll cover just a couple things here. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Bible says, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So the condition here is foreknowledge, not unconditional surrender. Foreknowledge, not unconditional surrender. So uh, look at another one here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to run just a few more verses for you. Now we covered this, like I said, going through the book of Romans. Uh, especially around chapter 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. All right? So we're just talking just a minute and dealing with this damnable heresy called Calvinism. And here, God's elect of Titus 1.1, they're already saved. You need to grasp a hold of that if you can. God's elect of 1-1, one, one, they're already saved. Now look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> God's elect are already saved. Romans chapter 8. When I was uh, 20 and 21 years old, this thing was very, very confusing to me because I sat in three different churches that never said anything but this, Calvinism is wrong. Now, they at least said it was wrong, but they could never tell you why. <laughs> so when I finally got under uh, uh, my father-in-law there, Bible Baptist Church of Lupton, well, the old sawed-off shotgun there, he began to blast away, and he'd tell you why it was wrong. Amen? So you can say something's wrong, but if you don't tell them in the Bible where it's wrong, you're just as good as a, you know, dead <laughs> okay it's wrong why well, I don't know my preacher said so it doesn't fly very far does it 
Look at uh, Romans 8.29. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did <clears throat> predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So once again, you become predestinated after you get saved, never before. When you get saved, it's like uh, the best uh, explanation of this. It's like this. Any of you ever go to Cedar Point or an amusement park or something, and you ride on a roller coaster, right? So you can get in and out of line up to the point you get in there. But once you get in that roller coaster and that bar goes across your lap and goes click, the next three minutes and 30 seconds are predestinated. <laughs> Amen. And so that's a terrible illustration, maybe a little bit humor to get you awake this morning. But you are never predestinated before you get saved. Uh, Calvinism, the uh, idea of Calvinism is... Uh, you're in line to ride the roller coaster and you can't get out. See what I mean? But guess what? Salvation, the Lord's not John Calvin. And he'll let you get out of line. But once you trust his son, you're predestinated to have different things happen to you in your life. Look at it again, Romans 8, 29. It says, For whom he did foreknow, there's the foreknowledge, he also did predestinate, to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So here what's predestinated is one day you will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we know that without a, we know for that for a fact. The Bible's very clear about that. Uh, just like we went over in Ephesians chapter 1, predestination always follows foreknowledge. Uh, and predestination, oh, I'm sorry, election always follows follows foreknowledge. Now that can be confusing if you're not, uh, you know, studying the terms, which, listen, uh, take a few notes and ask the Lord for wisdom on that thing, but remember, predestination always follows foreknowledge, and election always follows foreknowledge, and you're never predestinated before you're saved. The Calvinist says you're predestinated before Genesis 1-1, which is bat feathers, amen. But back here in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, you see that Paul is a servant and he is an apostle to who? To those that acknowledge the truth, which is after godliness. But I just want to point out real quick, he's a servant first. Amen? That's a great practical application. As a Christian, no matter what your position is, you're a servant first. Amen? And that's what Paul is. Now look to verse 2. He says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, what a great verse, promised before the world began." Probably one of the greatest verses in the Bible, if you look at it for what it is. And a great passage here. So some promises are being made. You see it? It's real simple. Some promises being made. And you got to ask yourself, well, who do you make the promises to? I mean, to answer this question, you got to ask yourself another question according to the verse. Who is around before the world began that God can make a promise to? I mean, the cherubims? No. <laughs> Seraphims? No. <laughs> I mean, Lucifer, <laughs> Michael, Gabriel, <laughs> uh, I mean, did God promise them to them? No. Well, did God promise this to me and you? No. The promise was made to Jesus Christ when the question came up about dying for sinners. Look at Revelation 13. I'll show you real quick how this thing ties up. The promise was made by God the Father to God the Son when the question came up about dying for sinners. This is what's promised. 
Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Now notice this thing. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain where? You see that? There's the promise from the foundation of the world. So the Lord could not give man eternal life unless he had it. The Lord could not give man eternal life unless he has it. Well, what does Romans 6.23 says? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So God has it, right? Uh, not only that, but uh, look at First John, uh, look at John, book of John, chapter 5, and verse 26. God has eternal life, and Jesus Christ has eternal life. John chapter 5, there's no way that we could ever have received eternal life unless Jesus Christ had eternal life to begin with. So John chapter 5, verse 26, the Bible says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. I don't know how many times I read that Bible, and I read that verse, but never tried to connect it together with what we're looking at, this promise here. I'll go to 1 John chapter 5. I'll give you another section of Scripture on this thing. 1 John chapter 5. But he says that he hath given to the Son to have life in himself. 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 10. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. Read a couple verses here. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That's that promise made all the way back before uh, the world was ever made, so forth and so on. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. These things have I written unto you, verse 13, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, that's not a reference to the eternal Godhead, but to a man dying on this earth and resurrecting in a new body. You know, he resurrected in a new body, amen? Look at Luke chapter 24. He didn't resurrect in a corrupt body that was uh, just as... Uh, you know, fleshly as it was. Look at Luke chapter 24, 24, verse 39. 24, verse 39, the Bible says, uh, he, Jesus says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So Jesus Christ here has a glorified body, a glorified body, Flesh and bones, but no blood. That interesting thing there. Now look at John chapter 6 for a second. John chapter 6, verse 33. Now that promise made before the foundation of the world, before the world began, was that uh, about eternal life had to do with uh, giving uh, Jesus Christ eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 33 this is the dissertation on the bread, uh, bread of life. The Bible says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. You see that? 
Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. <laughs> Amen. That's the kind of bread I want. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look down to verse 50. Again, confirmation. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Ain't that something? But the promise is made to Jesus Christ back in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. And if you go back to Titus, we'll uh, look at this next part here. That scripture says, uh, it says, uh, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. That's a great passage. That's a great verse, isn't it? Aren't you glad he cannot lie? Uh, the Bible says uh, in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, it says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. So, you know, you hear the age-old question, could God lie? <laughs> no, absolutely. The Bible says it, which it was impossible for God to lie. There's two parts to that. Did he lie? No. Could he have lied? No. Uh, Numbers 23, 19, we sing the uh, verse in Sunday school. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. All right, so you got to come to this conclusion. If God could lie, then God could sin. And that's why your Bible says it's impossible that God, that God, there's no way God could lie. And men need to be reminded that God cannot lie. The Bible's completely right to give us at least three verses of Scripture that says he didn't lie and he couldn't lie. All right? Look at verse 3, Titus chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. <clears throat> now what's promised here is the word. And it was manifested with the resurrection of Christ. And, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the, the greatest necessity of our day is preaching. It's not the economy. It's, uh, it's not global warming improvement. Um, it's not the health care system. The, the necessity of our day is preaching. And our day lacks it more than any other day. Unless you're going to go back during the dark ages, then we could probably be comparative. <laughs> but it's worse now than the dark age. You say, oh, no, people are not. Well, sure, but now people today, they have such a false sense of security. I mean, you were either, you were either, you know, dying on the spot and dying in mass, or if you stood up for Jesus Christ, you get your head whacked off or a sword run through you or they'd stuff gunpowder in your mouth and blow your head off. Good old Holy Roman Catholic Church there during the Dark Ages, but now you can do whatever you want. If you want to worship your dog, you can worship your dog. See what I mean? If you want to create a religion and make Oprah the goddess, a deity, you can do that. They've got a church of Oprah, man. They've, I mean, you want to take Elvis, your favorite singer, and you want to make him, you know, fourth part of the Trinity. You know, you can do that too. You know what I mean? It's stupid. But our day needs preaching. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we have such a need for it, yet so little preaching is done. He said, oh, okay, preacher, you think you're the only one doing preaching? I didn't say that. Matter of fact, I'm, uh, I'm harder on myself about preaching than, uh, than you are. <laughs> Uh, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. See that? The necessity of the hour is preaching. 
preaching the gospel, preaching the word. Now you notice when it comes to preaching, it ought to be uh, centered on Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, preaching today is more like, uh, uh, it's like a pep talk. It's uh, a psychological gas. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and now uh, preaching is more a performance than anything else. And so what you have is you have a class of people who are gifted speakers. Boy, my northern accent just really shined right through my nose when I said speakers. Uh, you know, it's just some days it's just like you can really tell you're a northern hillbilly. It's just the way you talk. You know, you can try as much as you can to be country and slow it down, but every once in a while you're just northern hickness comes out. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Bible says, verse 23, <laughs> uh, But we preach Jesus Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Is that, that preaching should be centered around Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid even our Bible-believing circles, and if we're not careful here, we'll make our preaching all about what we can do to make ourselves better. Now listen, we need to strive to be more like Christ, but that thing cannot get away from the cross of Jesus Christ. It's got to be centered around the cross. How about this? Look at Luke 32. When it comes to preaching, sometimes it is accepted, isn't it? Sometimes. I know Bible believers, uh, they got bad mouths and bad backs and bad behinds and all the rest of that stuff, but we're down in the mouth a lot because it's, it's easy to say nobody wants the truth anymore, isn't it? But look, y'all are here. I, you can't say nobody wants the truth. I can, I can give you a dozen more people I believe want to be here but can't. And uh, most of those are probably hit online. You know what I mean? But look at Luke chapter 11, verse 32. Sometimes a preaching is accepted. And now listen, whether it's accepted or not, we should continue to preach. Amen? I mean, if it was based upon uh, results, we, can I just be honest with you? We'd have quit a long time ago, wouldn't we? I'm, I'm, I'm including you all with me in the preaching this morning, but... If this corner right here was based on results, we'd have closed house a long time ago. The first sign of trouble, we'd have shut her down. So that shows you you don't preach just because of results. Um, I'm still trying to find Luke, but I'm running my mouth more than I am finding my place in the Bible here. Luke chapter 11. See, I used to have this uh, interleaf Bible that had a blank page for every... Uh, and then I got, I set that aside and got this one. I still ain't no pastor at finding it. But sometimes it's accepted. 1132. The Bible says, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with his generation, shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. You know, Jonah was a Gentile prophet. Ain't that something? Jonah was sent to a bunch of stinking Gentiles, and you know what they did? They got right. <laughs> you know, I know we're not Jews. We're a spiritual Jew. But you know the hardest-headed bunch of people in the Bible? It's the Jews. <laughs> Stiff-necked, rebellious, right? Uh, their face was like a flint, you know what I mean? Like an adamant stone. And uh, we're, we're kind of like spiritual Jews in that sense as Bible believers. But hey, sometimes our preaching is accepted. And that's why you should preach. That's why you should witness. 
keep up the dialogue that you got going with people at work, family members and neighbors that you got going. Why? Because you know what? Oh, we're, we're given the gospel. The gospel is given to the Gentiles in Acts 28, 28, and the Bible said, and they will hear it. Amen? So sometimes they'll hear it, but you know what we know? Look at 2 Peter 2. Sometimes they won't. <laughs> sometimes they won't. Now, I don't know how much history you, you're probably, you're probably not a whole, you're probably not a group of history readers, but uh, there's a lot wrong with our country. You know that, and I know that. We're not going to sit here and chew the fat and chew the cud and drink the sweet and all that and just talk about the problems. But, you know, you say what you want. When this country was being established, uh, the, the pioneers and the frontiersmen, they come over and they got ahead of the developed land and they died in masses. You say, what are you saying? Well, the federal government hadn't, uh, hadn't gotten things hacked out of the bush, you know what I mean? By the time the federal government got everything set where they could respond to problems, uh, these frontiers and pioneers were just, their families would go out and get slaughtered by Indians. They get pick up these diseases out there, and they just die in mass. I mean, the entire frontier is littered with blood. Our history, even our church history, is painted with blood. You say, why do you say, why do you say that? Because there's something about this country when it was started, uh, it was started with a lot of grit, you know? And now the generation we got coming up, they expect everything given to them. I, I'm reading history. I've read a dozen history books in the last three months. Uh, I mean, we're talking it'll take 24 to 30 hours to get through. And uh, I'm, I didn't say that to make you impressed. You probably don't care. But you know what? <laughs> Our forefathers had grit. Uh, okay, I get it. A lot of them weren't saved. A lot of them were deists. They didn't even believe in Jesus Christ. I understand that. But you know what? This country at least wasn't found on Catholicism wasn't founded on some crazy, whacked-out cult. It's founded on God. I mean, it's not a Christian nation, we know that, but at least started right, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but sometimes it's rejected. And uh, you can judge history by people who don't give up. And a lot of, you know, we, we give up too easy. I'm just saying we give up too easy these days. Look at 2 Peter 2, uh, 4 and 5. It's rejected. 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a what? A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Boy, that was a dangerous message to miss the invitation on, wasn't it? <laughs> Amen? That's terrible, ain't it? Noah preached for a hundred years. You know what they did? They mocked him. The Lord drowned him out. Ain't that something? Well, it's accepted at time. It's rejected at time. Look at Galatians chapter 1. This is a message within the teaching here, if you couldn't tell by now. That preaching is supposed to be centered around Jesus Christ and the cross. But over here in Galatians chapter 1, you know what we know, especially, you know, you don't even have to go 10 miles and you figure this out in this county. Uh, preaching is perverted at times. Ain't that something? The preaching in this county is perverted at times. You say, you know what your problem is, preacher? Well, there's quite a list that I already know of. If you ask my wife, she could publish another few pages. So if you want to add to that, you can get in line. 
for being funny this morning. But uh, you, you know what, how church history is written? It's written, the only reason church history exists is because of the dissenters. You see that? We are the dissenters in church history. We are the nonconformists. We are the exclusionists. You know what Satan wants you to do? Conform? Let's just love everybody. Let's not rock the boat. You see what I mean? But that's not church. That's not the witness of church history. The witness of church history is, oh no, there's one God. There's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. And no, I'm not baptizing my infant. And no, I'm not taking the sacraments. And all your Gnosticism and all your philosophy is just a bunch of stinking foolishness. That's the dissenters of church history. That's who you are. You're like, oh, I know that on the game. <laughs> Amen. But uh, Galatians chapter 1, you know the verse I'm looking for here, is sometimes that gospel's perverted. Look at verse 6. Galatians 1, 6. The Bible says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ on another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You don't have to go 10 miles and you got perverted gospels. Isn't that sad? But we, I'm not trying to get on you, but think about it. We live so comfortable. I mean, for the most part, throw another log on the stove, turn the dial up right. We didn't miss any meals. You could eat part of a donut on your way in here this morning, right? And within 10 miles, they got people perverting the gospel. That is sad, but that's the day and age you and I live in. Uh, look at verse uh, 8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be what? Accursed. That's the opinion of God given through Pauline doctrine. You say, what's that? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> this world and the Baptist brethren want you to go out in this community and get along with everybody. Okay, I'm, not, I'm all for not being a jerk to people. I really am. I'd like to be pleasant as punch. But when we get to this topic right here, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and accept their perversion? Or are you going to say that ain't right? And once you say that isn't right, then you're the hate monger. Then you're the judge, you're the judge not lest you also be, see what I mean? But the Bible said God's cursing them when you pervert that gospel. You're not doing the cursing, you're just being the mouthpiece. And you know if they say, don't shoot the messenger, well, you're going to get shot. <laughs> But sometimes it's uh, accepted, sometimes it's rejected, uh, sometimes it's perverted. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I'll show you this real quick. And when it comes to preaching, sometimes it's just thought of as a bunch of foolishness. Foolishness, 118 to 20. The Bible says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You know, most of the country today in Michigan, you know what they're doing? They're trying to figure out the statistics of who's going to win the Lions game. And you know what? That is the most important thing. Amen? Amen. Amen? I like one fellow said, I'm just glad they made it this far. But you know what? If you, uh, you tell the average unsaved Lions fan um, that you spent your morning in church, getting taught the Word of God, and then you stayed for one more hour of preaching where a preacher would just kind of go off on you from time to time and try to help you, but at the same time might hurt you a little bit. They'd be like, 
dude. But the game, but the gospel, <clears throat> it's uh, counted as foolishness. And it says right there in uh, 18, preaching the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But look at Acts 17 about this thing about preaching. Now, this is nothing new. I know you know this. We're just kind of putting it together in kind of a systematic form real quick. And it's, it's important to go these through these response to the gospel because you know what happens? Sometimes you forget. Sometimes you get discouraged because people don't want what you have. And you get tired of passing out tracks, so you stop. You get tired about you get tired because you don't see results, so you're like, why say anything? It's just gonna, I'm just gonna rock the boat. I'm just gonna make the family mad. I'm just gonna make my friends mad. I'm just gonna make the workplace mad. Well, maybe that's what it takes to get them saved. Amen. Acts chapter 17, look at verse 16. A lot of times when you preach the gospel, it's ridiculed. It's ridiculed. Uh, 17 verse 16. Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Uh, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers, Colossians 2.8, of the Epicureans, that's the crowd that says, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to pamper my flesh and give it whatever it wants. And of the Stoics, you know what the Stoics are, right? That's a group that says, have a stiff upper lip and, you know, tough it out. And, you know, the harder the better, you know. Encountered with him, uh, and someone said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be an accuser, uh, uh, setter forth of strange gods because he preached on them Jesus and the resurrection. So sometimes you preach the gospel, and it's just... It's just ridiculed. That's just one of the responses. But uh, look finally here, look at Romans chapter 1. We'll put this little uh, thought to bed here for a second. Romans chapter 1, another great verse in the scriptures. One of the first verses I memorized in the Iwana clubs, Romans 1.16. I don't know why I'm turning it, just have it. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see that despite all those responses, you and I should never be ashamed of it. We should never be ashamed of preaching. Amen. Back to Titus chapter 1 verse 3. He says, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. Through preaching. And preaching is a very important topic in the Bible and... Uh, whether I say it or not, it's a lost art. It's a lost art. Uh, preachers from 100 years ago would call me uh, a newbie, green behind the ears, and a terrible preacher, and they'd call me uh, liberal uh, because I don't name out the sins of their days. Um, you know, in the land, there was the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the HIVites, the Perizzites, and the and otherites. So we don't have the Canaanites and the Parasites and the HIVites and all the otherites. You know what we have? You know, our problem, the inhabitants of our land are the Facebookites, the Twitterites, the TikTokites, right? Amen? And the problem we have is with the social mediaites. That, that's, our, that's a lot of our trouble. And we're now raising generation whether you agree with social media. I'm not blaming you specifically, but whether or not you partake of it, 
And maybe you have a handle on it, okay? But let me tell you what, most people don't. I forgot the YouTubeites. That's in there too. Amen. So those are the sins of our day, right? You know, and the dope smokerites and all that. You know what I'm saying, and so forth and so on. But, uh, <clears throat> but the reason the preachers would think uh, that I'm no good is because I don't spend every message preaching against liquor. Well, maybe every now and then we ought to hit the thing, amen. But I don't think that I have a church full of drunks. The reason I wouldn't spend every sermon preaching against the sodomites because I don't think I have a church full of queers. Amen? I think you need to be fed, and if all you ever get fed is stuff that you're not doing, you'll puff your chest up, straighten some pictures, and walk out the door and say, man, it sure is good to be me. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> uh, but uh, preaching is a very lost art in society, and most pulpits, and I know I'm being ambiguous, and I know I'm setting myself up in the... Uh, in the, in the the sights of whoever is listening. I don't even care, but most preachers don't even preach anymore. Since I've got here, the Lord has continually convicted me and convicted me and tried to get me to change to be more of a preacher. Now, preaching is absolutely right. Our commission is preaching and teaching as a pastor, pastors and teachers. But I did so much more teaching in the first uh, five to six years of my ministry, I, I couldn't hardly stand myself. You say, well, what would you do about it? I begged God to change me. Not change what I'm teaching, because there's nothing wrong with it, but change me into a preacher. And so it takes 20 years to make the man. Of course, so one preacher said another 20 to make the message. So I'm telling you this, if I can change, you can change. And you've got to change. And if you don't change, you get in a rut. And I've seen Christians over the last 10 years, uh, we sing that song in the morning, uh, Sunday school, I met Jesus at the crossroads where the two ways meet. And I see Christians go right to the crossroad of change. And they just hang out there like, my, my, what a fine day we have here. And the Lord's like, yeah, which way are you going to go? And, and, and the Christian's like, well, Lord, it sure is nice out. And find the Lord's, all right, take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson, right? And back around they go. And they won't take the path of change. And most pulpits don't preach no more. And they've turned from an old-time independent Baptist preaching to this uh, psychological grass that they're doing. Gas. <laughs> grass. <laughs> Maybe some of that too, amen. And like I said, what's going on in a lot of pulpits? And you know what? I, all you, <laughs> I hate to even give credit or credence. All you got to do is find some of these social media sites, and these websites, YouTubeites, and all that stuff. And most pulpits, they're committed to an entertainment, you know. They're committed to psychological rapping. And then you're going to find the preachers that are stuck in a rut. Just stuck in a rut. All they're, they're preaching, they're either, uh, some preachers are, they're so fired up about, you know, what a woman wears, that's all they can preach. I never understood that. That's kind of weird, you know. It's just weird. You know, it's kind of like the preacher that all he does is preach about soul winning. Is soul winning a good thing? It's a great thing. But is your marriage all about intimacy? <laughs> no, man, <laughs> it ain't. <laughs> That's weird, ain't it? You say, what is it? Just a lack of balance in the Christian life. The Bible says, uh, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. <laughs> Amen? And if all you ever do is get fed one type of food and you're always unbalanced, uh, you're going to be, you know, like you need a spiritual V8, man, to straighten you out. And maybe some spiritual X-lax and movement of the Holy Ghost while you're at it. 
John Wycliffe said this, Preaching should be apt, apparent, and so addressed to sinners that it may captivate the will and subdue the mind. That's what preaching is. It's a lost art. And if God calls you to preach, let me say this, you need to work at it. You need to work at it. Make it your major goal in life to be a Bible preacher. It's missing today in America, all over the world. We don't need more churches, man. We need more preachers. We need more men willing to sacrifice their time and get in that book. Amen. And say, Lord, uh, I've spent so much time living for me. Now I'm going to live for you. And uh, whatever you want me to do, just show me what to do, and I'll do it. But I'm going to study. I'm going to study. I'm going to read. And I'm going to pen down messages, and even if I never preach them, I'm going to get them ready. That's what you ought to do if you're a preacher. Some people, they say they're called to preach, and all they do is make money. Well, no wonder God don't give them a pulpit to preach in. <laughs> you got to be ready. And preaching is missing in America, all over the world. He says, but half in due times manifests his word through preaching. So the word was promised. It was manifested at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is engaged in preaching. It says there in verse 3, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Look at verse 4. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now you notice here it says, mine own son after the common faith. So simply put, Paul led Titus to Christ just like he did Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 2, and 18. And th this common faith here is a faith that is shared by believers. Shared by believers. Now listen, there's different degrees of faith. Look at Romans chapter 12. There's different degrees of faith, no doubt. No doubt at all you got to realize there's faith to be saved and then there's a measure of faith God gives the individual after you're saved. That makes sense this morning. Everyone has to, uh, by, faith, by grace are you saved through faith. There's faith to be saved, that's simple faith, amen. Uh, but then there's the measure of faith God gives to every man. It's not all the same. Look at 12.3. Paul says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if it was all the same, then God wouldn't be talking about a measure. When you measure it, some people are going to have a greater measure than others. Now, faith is found in every dispensation as an active element except before the fall of man. When Adam and Eve were in the garden... Uh, you know, the Lord didn't say, Adam, now believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. <laughs> you know what he said? Don't eat the fruit. <laughs> no faith involved. <laughs> Just works. Don't eat. <laughs> Imagine some cockeyed nut saying, well, you know, they're all saved the same way in the Old Testament as they are the New. <laughs> okay, well, don't eat of a tree and see, go to hell on is what you do. <laughs> Crazy, but there's different degrees of faith. Let's look at real quick just a couple of them, <clears throat> and we'll uh, stop here. I'll look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. I want to show you little faith, little faith. I'm just going to give you about five of these. We're going to read the verse and move on. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Now you got to figure out as a Christian what kind of faith you got. 
be able to utilize the faith you got. And if you're not happy with it, ask God for more. Matthew 6.30, Bible says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, or in Michigan it's smoked, shall ye not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? You see that? There's little faith. I don't know about you. When I read my Bible, I think like that. I don't know how you think. I'm sure you're more pious and spiritual because the Lord is in his holy temple, but you live in a ridiculously high state. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9 will show you active faith. Active faith. Hebrews 10 and verse 9. Uh, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. That's Jesus Christ uh, utilizing active faith, and he just comes to do the will of God. That's what that is. That's active faith. Uh, you've got uh, wavering faith in James. Look at James chapter 1. Now, I forgot to write down my verse here, but there's wavering faith. I'm looking for it. There it is. Verse 6, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask a God. That's a great verse. You ever just wake up one day and feel spiritually stupid? I mean, I'm all the time. Sometimes I hear preaching, I'm thinking, what ship did I just fall in the water over? Am I even a preacher? Do the people even benefit when I open my yap at all? I hear some preachers, man, God's on them like a fan. I'm like, man, I must be like Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> I look at y'all working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Some of you, you know, you're falling asleep. I, I ain't upset with you. I get it. I've had to go through my preaching to try to see where I could do better. I fall asleep too, amen. <laughs> but look at 5. It says, When you lack wisdom, ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You see that? For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. That's just like your Christian life sometimes, isn't it? You feel like you're in a uh, sea storm. Your faith is strong. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. <laughs> you're like you're nuts. And how about this one? First Timothy chapter 1, 5. One more after this and we're done. Unfeigned faith. Unfeigned faith. That's a real deal. If your faith is unfeigned, it's the real deal. Bible says now uh, now the end of now end of the commandment is charity. No, is that what I want? First Timothy or second? First Timothy one five. Yeah, faith. Okay. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. That's a, that's real faith. And finally, Matthew eight ten. We're done. Great faith. Great faith. Of course, you know, uh, the one we're missing, I didn't write it, is no faith. <laughs> Matthew uh, chapter 8 and verse 10. Now, what you uh, ought to do with some of your time is uh, read some of these old biographies of men in the 17 and 1800s that were preachers and missionaries. I'm telling you what, they'll show you exactly what kind of faith you have. 8.10, and, and they'll just, you just realize it by reading their lives. Bible says in 8.10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great, so great faith, no, not in Israel. And let's talk about that fellow, the centurion. 
and that's faith. And uh, faith is found, like we said, in every dispensation except before the fall of man there. And uh, faith is a measure that God gives to every man a little bit differently after salvation. And we'll stop right there in the middle of verse 4. He says, my own son after the common faith, common faith. 